Welcome to the Rennie Podcast, a podcast about the real estate market and the people connected by it. We seek to empower our listeners to make informed decisions while providing context for the real estate world around them. We hope that with every episode, you become a little more knowledgeable and a lot more curious. Today, we're going to be shining the spotlight on our most recent intelligence publication, our spring 2021 edition of the Rennie Landscape, also known in the industry as the Little Red Book. For those less familiar with the landscape, it's a semi-annual publication that our Intel team produces and tracks a variety of factors that directly and indirectly impact Metro Vancouver's housing market. So with us today is Ryan Berlin, the Senior Economist and Director of Intelligence here at Rennie, who also happens to be the author of The Landscape. Thanks for having me, Justine. Happy to be here. And I genuinely cannot believe that it's been six months since we produced The Last Landscape. It's great to have you here today, Ryan. I'm so excited to sit down and talk to you and take a look through the lens of the Rennie landscape on how our economy and housing market has evolved and changed over the last year. I'm really interested in hearing where it has brought us to today and most importantly, where you see things going. Yeah, certainly, you know, a lot has changed in the last year, to say the least. We're 13 months into our experience with COVID-19, and I think there is light at the end of the tunnel, and we don't think it's an oncoming train. Um, You know, that being said, there is still a tremendous amount of uncertainty around the progression of COVID-19. And, you know, even as we vaccinate a growing share of our population, um, because there are new variants in play. But we are getting closer, I think, to a world that'll look a lot like the one that we left behind in February 2020 before the pandemic hit Canada. But we're going to have more money circulating through the economy. We're going to have more migration. And we're likely to see an elevated uh, demand for housing uh, over the near term. So let's get right into it. Ryan, how did our Canadian economy and housing market change in the immediate aftermath of the pandemic? You know, when the pandemic hit, we entered what we have been calling the Great Suppression, um, a situation where we sort of collectively shut down parts of our economy to limit the spread of COVID-19. And it's been a very, you know, initially at least, it was a very, very dramatic downturn. In the first few months of the pandemic hitting Metro Vancouver, uh, so looking at you know between February and May of 2020, uh, employment in this region uh, dropped by 18% over that period. So that's one in five workers were essentially out of work within the first three months of the pandemic arriving here. And that's a really, really dramatic downturn. Like if we look back to the Great Recession from 2008, 2009, which was quite dramatic at the time, we only saw... I'll put only in air quotes, a 4% decline in employment uh, during that period. And that didn't happen over three months. That happened over a more extended period of time. So we had a very acute and dramatic decline in jobs. And the people that lost their jobs, as we've talked before on this podcast about, um, had a very specific profile. So they were young. They were part-time workers in retail and hospitality. So when we look at the job losses You know, across British Columbia in those first couple of months of the pandemic last year, um, about half of the jobs lost were in retail, uh, food and accommodations, so hotels, cafes and restaurants. And that 50% loss in uh, jobs in those sectors compares to a 14% decline in in those same sectors during the Great Recession 12 years ago. So a very different proportion of jobs lost. 43% of the jobs lost were in part-time work. 
And that number is significant because only about 20% of all jobs in the province are in part-time positions. So it was sort of, it was double that share uh, in the job losses. So the weight of the recession of the downturn fell on these part-timers in, in retail and hospitality who happened to be quite young. So almost half of them were under the age of 30. And typically, or before the pandemic hit, uh, only about a quarter of workers in the province were under the age of 30. So that very specific profile had you know, particular implications for our housing market, let's say. And that sort of, we talked about how that shielded the ownership market from some of the worst effects of the pandemic early on in particular, because the profile of, of the people that lost their jobs were not your typical homeowner or home buyer. Um, but outside of the demographics of the job losses, we also saw a lot of other dramatic changes. We saw um, two straight months of deflation, consumer price deflation, where prices overall in the economy were falling. So that happened in April and May. And that was the first time that we've seen anything like that since, again, the Great Recession from 12 years ago. And that was really a function of people not spending money, people sort of uh, holding up at home. There was social distancing restrictions in place, so people weren't able to go out and travel and eat, so they weren't buying fuel for their cars and just generally not not shopping. Um, immigration to Canada, immigration being a, the driver to population growth in the country and here in, in Metro Vancouver, fell to only 4,000 immigrants in April of 2020. And so to give some context for that, in April of 2019, one year previously, we had 94,000 immigrants. So we went, in a year-over-year basis, we went from 94,000 immigrants in April to 4,000. But with all of those changes came significant interventions from the government. So we had uh, substantial fiscal supports put into place through CERB and the uh, emergency wage subsidy and the commercial rent assistance programs. So the federal government accrued $250 billion in debt in the last nine months of last year compared to only $200 billion over the preceding 132 months. So a very, very dramatic uh, uh, turn for the worse when it came to, to public finances. This seems like a huge increase in such a short period of time. Is this something we should be concerned about? Yeah, I think it's very fair to be concerned about how much additional debt um, the federal government and provincial governments have put on their books in the past year. But I think it's important to put that into context or keep it within the context of also the Bank of Canada, our central bank, having stepped in and lowered interest rates, uh, or in other words, lowered the cost of servicing that debt. So the central bank immediately in March uh, lowered the overnight policy rate, the target rate interest rate that they have from 1.75% to 0.25%, which is effectively, mm -hmm. they've indicated is, is like zero, it's as low as they're gonna go. But additionally, what they also did is purchase a significant amount of federal and provincial government debt, and also some high-grade corporate debt as well. But in doing that, what the, the effect that they had was to push down uh, interest rates or yields on Canadian government bonds. And so when those yields started to come down, it translated immediately into our mortgage market and brought the uh, fixed mortgage rates down as well. Hmm. So how does this all translate to what we're seeing happening right now? 
What type of impact and effect did all of this have on our housing market? So yeah, all I mean, <clears throat> everything that we saw in our economy and with our, our demography and with the spread of COVID created a lot of uncertainty within the housing market. And it, our housing market in the region didn't quite shut down, but it came pretty close. So when we look at the uh, pre-sale uh, counts for our region for quarter two of last year, we were down to 1,600. So there were still homes, pre-sale homes selling, but we were quite low. And usually quarter two is a very active quarter within a year. And that put us on pace for the equivalent of between five and 6,000 pre-sales for the whole year. Um, that would have been the lowest number of pre-sales for Metro Vancouver in the past at least 15 years. So it really did sort of depress buying activity in the new home market. And then when we look at the resale market for March and April, uh, sales activity was also down quite significantly. So we only saw 4,000 sales in total in our region resales in April and May of last year. And that compares to over 10,000 that we would typically get in those two very, very active months during the spring market. So that constitutes a 60% drop. So there was a lot going on around us uh, a year ago. Um, and essentially we had all hit pause, right? So we didn't know what was gonna happen to our, our housing market. We, we knew that new project presentation centers uh, had been mothballed, uh, temporarily closed in many instances, open houses were paused. Um, we know sales were down, pre-sale and resale. And the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation, infamously uh, now, uh, had projected a between a nine and an eighteen percent decline in average uh, Canadian uh, home values over mm -hmm. the following year uh, when they made that prediction back in May of last year. So that that obviously didn't come true, but there was just really a lot of uncertainty around us at that time. Where do you see us currently standing in all of this? So I think we, we've, we've turned a corner for sure, uh, nationally, provincially, here in the region, in, in a few different ways. So I'll, I'll go through them. Um, we are certainly on the path to recovery. Uh, when we look at our employment numbers uh, regionally, uh, we see that we're almost back to where we were before the pandemic hit. And there's there are data coming out. Uh, actually in a few days after this recording. Um, so by the time this podcast airs, uh, our listeners might have more information than we have available to us right now. Mm -hmm. But as of this recording, Metro Vancouver's total employment is 2% below what it was in February 2020. So right before the pandemic hit. Um, that's in line with, as a, as a point of comparison, it's in line with uh, Greater Montreal, and in Greater Toronto, uh, employment is still 6% below the pre-pandemic level. So oh, wow. we're faring you know, pretty well uh, at this time as we, as we fully recover. Our unemployment rate is still high, it's 7.7%. If we you know, looked at this in a historical context, we would say, oh my gosh, that's terrible. But because going into the pandemic, our unemployment rate was in the mid 4%. But our unemployment rate now regionally is about half of where it was at its peak in uh, May of last year when it surpassed 14%. Um, and it's also currently below the Canada-wide average. So our labor market locally is performing comparatively well, let's put it that way. Um, when we look at demographics, very interestingly to me, in quarter four of last year, so the last three months of 2020, 
the province of BC added more people than in the fourth quarter of 2019. Uh, and this is not because we were having more babies. So there, there, <laughs> this, this idea that there was a, uh, there would be a, a COVID baby boom never materialized. Really? Um, yeah, when we look at a one component of demographic change that we call natural increase, which is the difference between births and deaths, um, what we saw in quarter four of last year for all of BC was that it was negative. And it was only the second quarter in the province's history where that natural increase number was actually negative and it was the largest negative we've seen ever interesting so the only reason that we grew in quarter four of last year was because of migration so we did see international migration bounce back a bit uh in quarter four um but what really sustained growth in bc in the last three months of last year was interprovincial migration so people moving to bc from other parts of canada we were really strong in that regard we added almost five thousand people on a net basis in quarter four of 2020, and only two other provinces could say the same thing, that they added people through domestic migration flows. And that's Nova Scotia and New Brunswick. And combined, they added 1,200 people compared to our 5,000. Every other province on a net basis lost people. So within Canada, BC has continues to be an attractive place to live and, mm-hmm. and to work. Something else we saw through 2020 as a whole uh, was that immigration nationally was was down. It's about ha- we ended up getting about half the number of immigrants nationally as we had planned for before the pandemic. That really had a, a significant impact on our rental markets across the country specifically. And, and here in Metro Vancouver, uh, for example, the vacancy rate went from 1.1% in at the end of 2019 all the way up to 2.6% at the end of 2020. Mm-hmm. So it's a more than doubling but it's still the lowest among all major metros in Canada. And we the reason I, I say that in the context of immigration is that two-thirds of immigrants who come to Canada and ultimately move to Metro Vancouver are renting within the first five years of arriving. So there's a strong relationship between uh, rental housing demand and immigration. And also rents, uh, when we look at average rents, uh, having increased only 2.7% in 2020, That was the slowest rate in average rent increase in Metro Vancouver since 2013. And it was half of the average annual increase that we've seen over the past five years. So a real softening in the rental market, no surprise. A couple of other things. uh, On the ownership side, we saw mortgage rates plunge. So when we look at the discounted mortgage rates, they reached uh, a low of... Uh, 1.39% just a couple of months ago. Um, And at that kind of an interest rate, if you're taking out a new mortgage on your first, your very first payment with a 25 year amortization period at 1.39%, you're only paying 29% of that first payment in interest. The other 71% of that payment is going uh, into equity or towards yeah. your outstanding balance, which is incredible because the experience for most homeowners in, in history has been, you know, for the first half of the life of your yeah. mortgage, you're, you're paying more interest than anything else. Yeah. So, sure. so that definitely benefited uh, homeowners. And then we saw because rates were so low, it encouraged a lot of people into the market. So on the presale front, um, we, you know, after a very slow quarter two, we saw the market in Metro Vancouver really recover. So we were up to 3,800 uh, pre-sale transactions in quarter four of last year. And that was after reaching 3,000 in quarter three. 
And if we look at the first three months of 2021, we've actually had more sales in projects that we're actively marketing in the first three months of 2021 than we had in the first nine months of 2020 and the entirety of 2019. And then on the resale side, obviously the last six months of 2020, it was like we had a spring market through the fall and the winter of 2020. And that's carried into 2021. As everyone knows by now, uh, the March resale data uh, showing almost 9,000 sales across the region, which is an all-time monthly record. So, um, yeah, so the, I mean, a lot has changed. I mean, the, everything has kind of flipped on its head. That's super interesting to hear. Do you know or are you able to tell me who these buyers are? So that's a good question. Um, I think if we speak in generalities, what we can say is that we know that almost all of the demand for housing right now is coming from the local market. Um, We know that immigration is way down. We know that the international student population has fallen, fell dramatically in 2020. And we know that foreign buyers, when we look at data from the provincial government, foreign buyers across BC only accounted for 0.5% of all residential transactions in 2020. So it's the local demography that is driving it. And it's everybody. I mean, it's downsizers, it's first time home buyers. And in fact, they've been very active. I know there's a lot of concern with rising prices that first time home buyers will not be able to enter the market. But what we did see uh, through 2020 was first time home buyers, if they didn't drive the market, they definitely followed the wave. They mm-hmm. rode the wave of the market mm-hmm. through the year. So if we compare the first half of 2020 to the second half of 2020, uh, first time home buyer uh, transactions increased by 47%. So from about 2,000 sales across Metro Vancouver to first-time home buyers in the first six months of last year to over 3,000 in the second half. So we talked about all that's happened. What is the big takeaway from all of this? Yeah, there's certainly a lot. There's a lot going on, and the experience of the past six months was quite different from the first six months of COVID. And what we're looking at now is just a lot of wind in the sales of our regional housing market. And I would say that's, you know, uh, it, it is a more active market, but it is the conditions are creating uh, quite a bit of angst for many buyers. So I do think you know some sellers see an opportunity here in the market because home values are rising. But it does beg the question: Does a seller really capitalize on their rising home value without one of the three D's being in play? So we're talking about uh, a death, downsizing, or departing, leaving the current market because. For most people who are selling within this market, they're also buying within this market. Exactly. So now given what we have come through over the past year and what we know about the current market, what can we talk about and say about the road ahead? One thing we can say about our market, we sort of look at the the factors that are pushing and, and pulling it as we move through the year. It's quite clear that there are a significant number of tailwinds in play um, that we've talked about in previous podcasts. Um, You know, we had for months talked about pent up housing demand in this market that uh, had failed. So this is demand that had failed to materialize in the first half of 2020 due to a ton of uncertainty that came into play with a vengeance over the final six months of 2020 and even into early 2021. But that pent up demand has become unpent. Um, So that's no longer a real 
tailwind. Um, but we we are now sort of entering uh, a period where we're seeing financial and economic and demographic uh, tailwinds. So on the financial front, uh, we recently updated our calculations looking at the total value of mortgage-free equity in Metro Vancouver. So these are, we're looking at the aggregate value that homeowners have amongst those homeowners who have no mortgage. So this is clear title equity. And that number now for Metro Vancouver is $373 billion. It's a huge number. 78% of that is held by people who are aged 55 plus. So essentially baby boomers and older. So there's $300 billion within that baby boomer and older group uh, in mortgage-free equity that can be redeployed into the economy in a number of ways as they downsize or as they pull money out to invest in uh, investment properties that creates new rental housing options uh, or passing money on to the kids uh, to help them get into the housing market. So I think that is an element that isn't going to manifest itself just in 2021. Mm -hmm. We're going to see that that money in play over the next 10 to 20 years. We also have on the financial front, a significant amount of accrued household savings. So in Canada, over the final nine months of 2020, Canadian households accumulated almost $200 billion in savings. Yeah, and that's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. They didn't have things to spend on. They weren't traveling. Um, and also the government supports were, were quite, fiscal supports were quite aggressive So and quite wide ranging. So um, it put a lot of money in people's pockets and they didn't spend it right away. That $200 billion that accrued over nine months at the end of uh, last year, just for context, uh, is enough to fully fund Canada's total resale housing volume for at least six months. That's so crazy. It is It is crazy when you think of it that way. And obviously not all of that money is going into real estate. But again, this is money that uh, will make its way back into the economy and some of it will end up in housing. Yeah, so you know we're experiencing all this extra money in the market. Interest rates are being so low. Will this raise the risk of higher inflation? For sure. The risk is there and we may certainly see a surge in inflation. We're 12 months in, 13 months into the pandemic. You know, after two months of deflation, as we talked about in the immediate aftermath of, of COVID after it arrived, we haven't seen inflation surpass the 2% threshold, which the Bank of Canada sort of sees as an appropriate uh, rate of price changes. So we've remained under that 2% threshold every single month uh, since the pandemic started. And so what we might see as things open up, hopefully as we all get vaccinated, you know, over the next few months and things go back to quote unquote normal, uh, we, we, we probably are going to see quite a bit of spending throughout the economy. We know we talked before we started recording today about the price of lumber and uh, yeah. rental cars in Maui yeah. <laughs> and other things that have gone up in price. We'll probably see that on a broader base going forward. But I think what the way inflation will manifest itself is is most likely in a medium term surge and then a return to. So we might see it up at three, four percent on an annualized basis for a few months. Um, my guess is then we'll sort of settle back into uh, the one to three percent range after that. All that being said, this is a very hotly debated 
topic and it matters within housing because if inflation does return with a force and is sustained uh, significantly above 2% for a period of time, we might see the Bank of Canada, in fact, it's likely that we would see in that case, the Bank of Canada increase uh, interest rates. And so that would impact anyone with debt and that would impact the housing market. But at this point, those we, we view those as sort of um, being um, potentially marginal impacts on the market at this point. Right. So everybody is buying houses, like obviously paying way more than what it's worth yeah. right now. Interest rates are really low. But once interest rates go back up, property value is going to start dropping back again. Where does that leave the people that have purchased at such a such a high rate? Yeah, I do think like, <clears throat> so if you look back at like 2016, 17, mm-hmm. prices crested, like especially in detached, right? And they really yeah. didn't come back until like at the end of last year. Yeah. Overall. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we could see that for sure. Uh, does it matter for the end user who is locked in for five years and at, you know, 1.59%? Uh, yeah. I mean, it matters to some extent. That's five years to prepare financially for refinancing at a higher interest rate, although it's the same outstanding balance. And I think you're going to see prices, even if they come off a bit, I think you're going to see them, you'll see them recover in the long term, past where they are now. So, you know, taken all together, when we look at, you know, the impacts that COVID initially had and how we've evolved since, uh, you know, March of last year, I think it's really important to acknowledge that our communities and our local economy um, have not fundamentally changed at an intrinsic level. You know, and on the the economic and demographic front, we expect jobs in Metro Vancouver in the next few months to return to their pre-pandemic levels. Immigration-wise, we know the federal government has increased the targets nationally to over 400,000 for each of the next three years. And so it's going to be a lot more people here. They're going to need homes. And I think that that will provide some support for the housing market as we as we look ahead. So we should expect that we will return to a world that looked the same or similar to the one we were experiencing in early 2020. Thanks, Ryan, for sitting down and and talking to me today. After listening to everything that you've said, I really feel like there is a light at the end of the tunnel. So thanks again for joining us. And this wraps up this episode of the Rennie podcast. To dig deeper into the data, be sure to check out the Rennie landscape on rennie.com slash intelligence. Thanks again, Ryan, for your time today. I can't wait for the fall edition of the landscape. Thanks, Justine. Thank you for joining us. If you'd like to learn more, all resources mentioned in the episode can be found on rennie.com.